Welcome to the evening episode of Honey in the Rock. We hope you've had a great day and we've got a great show ahead for you. Stick with us. This evening's episode is titled, Thou art an holy people unto the Lord. It will be focused on a study of Deuteronomy chapter 14. Before we go any further, we'll begin with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've elected us to be followers of Christ, oddballs in this day, where we cannot fit in with the world, but are chosen people unto you, a peculiar people. So Father, help us to continue to reverence that opportunity that you've given us to be the sons of God and to differentiate ourselves from the rest of the world. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Up next, we shall listen to Deuteronomy chapter 14. Chapter 14 Ye are the children of the Lord your God. Ye shall not cut yourselves, nor make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. Thou shalt not eat any abominable thing. These are the beasts which ye shall eat, the ox, the sheep, and the goat, the hart, and the roebuck, and the fallow deer, and the wild goat, and the pygarg, and the wild ox, and the chamois, and every beast that parteth the hoof, and cleaveth the cleft into two claws, and cheweth the cud among the beasts that ye shall eat. Nevertheless, these ye shall not eat of them that chew the cud, or of them that divide the cloven hoof, as the camel, and the hare, and the coney, for they chew the cud, but divide not the hoof. Therefore they are unclean unto you. And the swine, because it divideth the hoof, yet cheweth not the cud, it is unclean unto you. Ye shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch their dead carcass. These ye shall eat of all that are in the waters, all that have fins and scales shall ye eat. And whatsoever hath not fins and scales, ye may not eat, it is unclean unto you. Of all clean birds ye shall eat, but these are they of which ye shall not eat, the eagle, and the ossifrage, and the osprey, and the gleed, and the kite, and the vulture after his kind, and every raven after his kind, and the owl, and the nighthawk, and the cacao, and the hawk after his kind, the little owl, and the great owl, and the swan, and the pelican, and the jeer eagle, and the cormorant, and the stork, and the heron after her kind, and the lapwing, and the bat, and every creeping thing that flieth is unclean unto you, they shall not be eaten, but of all clean fowls ye may eat. Ye shall not eat of anything that dieth of itself. Thou shalt give it unto the stranger that is in thy gates, that he may eat it. Or thou mayest sell it unto an alien, for thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. Thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there. The tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thine oil, and the firstlings of thy herds, and of thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. And if the way be too long for thee, so that thou art not able to carry it, or if the place be too far from thee, which the Lord thy God shall choose to set his name there, when the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, then shalt thou turn it into money, and bind up the money in thine hand, and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, for oxen, or for sheep, or for wine, or for strong drink, or for whatsoever thy soul desireth. And thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice, thou and thine household. And the Levite that is within thy gates, thou shalt not forsake him, for he hath no part nor inheritance with thee. At the end of three years, thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year, and shalt lay it up within thy gates. And the Levite, because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow, which are within thy gates, shall come, 
and shall eat and be satisfied, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hand which thou doest. Up next, we shall listen to a sermon by Reverend William Branham titled The Oddball. This was preached in 1964 on June the 14th in the evening. We'll begin at paragraph 23. I trust you'll find it to be a blessing. And now, I was going down the street one time in Los Angeles, California, and I seen a very odd person acting odd. And he's walking down the street, not picketing, but he was just merely like taking an afternoon stroll. And I went to the other side of the street to see what he was doing. Everybody was turning around and laughing at him because of his peculiarity. I noticed he had a sign hanging on the front of him. And I thought I'd see what everybody was laughing about, this odd, peculiar man. And so he was, I noticed him as the people looked at him, they laughed at him, and, and but he seemed to have a different kind of a smile, a smile of contentment. The other smiles that the people were giving him was more like uh, uh, ridiculing him. But he seemed to be satisfied in what he was doing. Well, that's a whole lot to think about when a man's satisfied and what he's doing is right. Though he be an oddball to somebody else, if he is satisfied that what he's doing is right, then let him stay with it. And as I come close to the little man, I noticed on across his chest here on a plaque or a board was wrote, I am a fool. And at the bottom I had for Christ. I am a fool in great letters. Down at the bottom said for Christ. And everybody was laughing at this. And as the little man pressed on down to the crowd of jeers and carrying on, I turned to look what was on his back. And there was a great big question mark on his back and down at the bottom said, now whose fool are you? Well, uh, I thought he had something there. Uh, but he seemed to be satisfied that he could be a fool for Christ. And that's what Paul said he had become, a fool for Christ. Uh, Brother Troy, uh, the full gospel businessman, a very good friend of mine, he, he's a meat cutter. And getting some kind of a germ in his hand from cutting pork one time, I some man who knows or woman might know what the germ was, but it, it'll eat you up. So in order to save his life, they had to, to amputate three fingers. And he only has two fingers on one hand. But yet he remains as a butcher. And there was a little German who worked with him in a, a butcher shop down in Los Angeles. Uh, so he, uh, he kept trying to lead the little uh, Dutchman to uh, Christ. And uh, he said he was a Lutheran and it was all right with him. He was satisfied that he was a Christian because he belonged to the Lutheran church, as he stated it. So one night, Brother Troy had the privilege of getting him to go to church. His name was Henry. And Henry in German is Heinrich. And so they call him Heine. You've heard that expression. He said, Heine, how about going to church with me tonight? Well, he said, I believe I'll go. So he went down to an old-fashioned meeting where he was having a prayer meeting, and he really got under conviction and gave his heart to Christ. Oh, the next day, this little Dutchman was enjoying himself. Every once in a while, he would just walk through the building with his hands up in the air, saying, praise be to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And he attracted the attention to all of all of them. You see, he become an oddball to the whole line of meat cutters. And he'd be cutting meat. He'd start thinking about the Lord. He'd start crying. He'd lay the knife down and walk up and down the aisles. Not hysterically, but just uh, making love to Christ. 
saying, oh, how I love you, Jesus, you know, just walking back and forth. And the boss came by and seen him do this. And as he went walking down, crying, and the boss, he never noticed the boss. He was thinking about Jesus. And he started down with his hands up in the air and the tears rolling down his cheeks, saying, oh, God, how I love you. And the boss said, Heine, what in the world has happened to you? He said, everybody in the, in the whole line is talking about it. What in the world's happened to you, Heine? The little Dutchman said, oh, boss, he said, glory to God, I got saved. <laughs> he said, you got what? He said, I got saved. He said, I went with Brother Troy here down to a little mission and I, I got saved and Jesus came into my heart and I'm so full of love. He said, you must have went down to that bunch of nuts. He said, yeah. He said, glory to God. He said, thank God for the nuts. <laughs> he said, you know, you take an automobile coming down the road and you take all the nuts out of it, you ain't got nothing but a bunch of yunk. <laughs> well, I don't know but what the little Dutchman is just about right. Take all the nuts out, the nuts is what holds it together. And I think that's what holds the church together sometimes. Holds civilization together. Now, coming down from a visit at Prescott, a few days ago, I was looking at the desert and noticing how that out of Phoenix, they had the Japanese gardens and they had flowers in there, beautiful flowers, where when I was a boy out there, I herded cattle down through those places. The cows, were no grass, so they just lived on cactus beans and so forth. And then I noticed that there has been a, a reproduction to the use of the desert. And in the desert, we find that the cactus and the flowers and in our home there, or the home we're renting, Sister Larson, I think she was here this morning, I seen her. And uh, she has a flower bed on the outside of, of the house, some dirt, everything there is sand. So she had some dirt and a large flower bed on each side of the duplex. And every morning I have to get out and water those flowers. If I don't water them, they'll die. And they'll, and then again I have to get some spray and spray them to keep the lice off of them. And the bugs will eat them up. And then you go just a little beyond that, 30 feet. From that, there's some flowers growing, and out in the desert they're growing, and you could dig down 20 feet, and it'd be like a powder keg. Nothing in the world but just dust. And there's no water at all. And who sprays them? See, these in the flower bed, if you fail to spray them and to water them, the termites or the bugs, lice will eat them up. But the lice can't touch that one out there in the desert. And neither does he have to be babied and watered every day. He is a production of the Creator. This is a hybrid reproduction. And I think that today the reason Christianity has become to the people a nut is because that we've got a bunch of reproductions and not genuine Christians. A bunch that has to be babied and sprayed and in order to stay in the church. I can imagine the very first church what they were and compare it with this reproduction today. This would be a cheap production of what the real first church was that rugged believers in God with the Holy Ghost. Amen. You baby, not them. You didn't have to pat them and tell them you take them in this one 
And if they get tired of that one, they go to another one and you'll make them a deacon if they'll come over here and leave this other one. That's a hybrid reproduction. I was thinking of Michelangelo's original painting, I believe, of The Last Supper. I think he painted it. Do you realize what that original picture would cost you? It would be countless thousands of dollars would never touch that original because it's beyond price. It's so valued so high. But you can buy a cheap reproduction of it for about $2. That's why people today can't understand the ruggedness of real genuine believers. They become a nut. You know, the world gets in such a rut that every once in a while you have to have a nut to straighten it out. Take somebody, come on the scene, it's a little different. And he is a nut to that generation. I was thinking the other day, who is able, who today is not a nut? You're somebody's nut. I believe the world is completely going insane. Did you know it's a time that people can't judge between right and wrong or truth or error? Do you know the politicians can't judge right and wrong? You see them keeping quiet on this voting the Bible back in the church or into the Bible back into the school? They don't know which way the politics are going to blow. Think of it, I don't know how it is in Indiana now, but in the state of Arizona, it's against the law to read the Bible in school. I think it's the same thing in Indiana. Nearly the whole United States, because some infidel woman changed the whole program. And remember, it's against the law to read the Bible in our public schools, but believers' taxes supports infidelity to be taught in the school. Politics, we need another Abraham Lincoln. We need another Patrick Henry. We need an American who can stand out regardless of where the politics are and call right, right, and wrong, wrong. Did you know preachers today can't judge which is right, the Word of God or the church denomination? They don't know which road to take. They can't judge between right and wrong. I know the Bible says it, but our church says. See, people are not capable of judging right from wrong. Anything is contrary to the Bible is wrong. God's word is right and every man's word's a lie. It's contrary to it. And to try to stand now upon a, a, a kind like that and to stand for what's right, you become a nut. Let's call a few characters. I can imagine the prophet Noah in that great day that he lived in. That great scientific age where they built pyramids and sphinx. Where they could prove that there was no water in the skies but scientific research. And here comes this old man out there and said there's coming rain out of the heavens. Noah was a nut to that generation. He become a nut. Let's think of Moses. Moses. When he went down to Pharaoh, as we spoke this morning, and Moses going down to Pharaoh and saying, The Lord sent me down to bring these slaves out with a stick in his hand against the great army that had the whole world conquered. Pharaoh and all of his scientific genius thought Moses was a nut. And he was a nut to them. I can imagine the prophet Elijah in his great day when the fabulous uh, age of fashion when Ahab and Jezebel ruled the world as it was in them days. And all the fashions and things that Jezebel wanted to wear and how she had all the women uh, dressing like her and her paints and going on, her fashions, the way that she uh, fashioned herself. 
And when some old crank like Elijah come out on the scene and withstood the whole nation, the Ahab, he was a nut. That's right. Amos, the prophet, when he come to Samaria in the day that Samaria was like Hollywood today, the women on the street dressing and even public adultery, how they carry on and live out there, letting man. It's almost a public adultery today right before you. I went to a certain place the other night to get something to eat, and the little boys and girls up there hugging and kissing like I don't know what. And do you know, my little sister, that that's potentially an adultery? When a man kisses you, he's potentially committed adultery with you. You should never let him kiss you until you're married. For the glands, both male and female glands, is in the lips. Do you understand? And when male and female glands come together, let it be where it may be. You have potentially committed adultery. And you shouldn't let a boy kiss you until that veil is raised on your face and you're his wife. Don't do that. It's committing adultery. It's mixing male and female glands. Why don't a man kiss a man? Woman kiss a woman in the lips. Because it don't cross the glands. Children is born by crossing glands. So it's almost a public adultery again, everywhere. Look on the screens and everything you see, a, a slobbering and a, a carry-on. No wonder immorality is on, the, is on the incline. How can they do it and burn themselves all up by kissing those women in the mouth? Knowing that that's adultery, God won't forgive it unless you repent. And now, when coming up, uh, this great prophet Amos, he's known as one of the minor prophets because there wasn't too much road of him. But he had the word of the Lord and he looked out upon that city, all given into parks, men sitting with their arms around women and women with their arms around men, just a modern Hollywood. And he walked down to that city and said, You'll repent or perish. He was a nut. He had almost declared himself insane to them. John, the Baptist, when he come on the scene to the religious denominations that day, he was a nut. He had the opportunity to become a priest to follow his father's footsteps. But he refused to do it because God had kept him out of those creeds and denominations. Because his job was too important, he was to announce the Messiah coming. And when he had nothing to do with either Pharisees, Sadducees, or whatever it was, he rejected the whole group of them and said, Don't you begin to say we have Abraham to our father, for I say that God's able of these stones to rise children to Abraham. To the, to the religious world of his days, he was a nut. He's right. When Jesus came on the scene to the religious people of his days, he was also a nut. Because they said, you are a Samaritan. You're out of your mind. You're a madman. In other words, a crazy man. He was that to the people, your Lord and Savior. No wonder Paul, trained by Gamaliel to be a priest, the opportunity is someday becoming a high priest. And on his road down to Damascus, he was struck down by a supernatural light. And he looked up being a Jew and know that pillar of fire was what led his people. He said, Lord, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus. And when he forfeited his education, he forfeited all of his theology that he'd been trained in the school. And become a regular street preacher. He was a nut. He said, I have become a fool. And the people thought he was mad beside himself. He told Festus, I'm not man. 
He just knows the Lord. But to know the Lord in a religious group. I hope you don't miss it. To know Jesus this day amongst a religious group, you are a nut. It hasn't changed. I could dwell much on this, but I, I want to hurry up for the prayer line. Martin Luther, that little German priest, that packing the communion one day, threw it down on the steps and said, This is not the body of Jesus Christ. This is only bread that's been made back there. And he declared that the just shall live by faith. He was a nut to the Catholic Church. They could have assassinated him for that. But he was a nut. And they just let him alone. But he become a nut to that generation. John Wesley, in the days of the great immoral hour of England, when a Wesleyan revival had to come on the scene, the whole world was corrupted. Immorality everywhere. And the Anglican church had got so far away to the no more revival. Such Calvinistic thinking. And John Wesley come on the scene with us. The uh, word of sanctification. Cleaning up the immoral. He became a nut. Quoting Mr. Wesley once. In his book. He was coming down a path. And one of the men of the England church, they all thought he was crazy. So he stood in the path. Mr. Wesley was a little bitty man. This great big fellow thought he'd just get to slap him down. So he stood in the path. Mr. Wesley walked up and said, pardon me, sir. Would you step out of the way? I'm in a hurry. And the Angulan said to him, I don't step out of the way for a fool. Mr. Wesley politely tipped his hat, walked around him, said, I always do. <laughs> so you see, that was one who was the nut. One was for Christ. The other was for the church. So you're somebody's nut. Yet, when the Pentecostals came on the scene 50 years ago, they said, them people are crazy. They were nuts. That's right. Because they condemned all that corruption that was in the church ages at that time when they come on the scene. But what has the Pentecostals done? Went right back into the vomit that they come out of. Right back into the denominational corruption. You know what? It's time for another nut. Yes. <laughs> it's time for another one. That's right. Notice a nut. Before there is a nut, there is a bolt to fit that nut. And that nut is threaded to that bolt. If it don't, it's a misfit. Notice, all who was threaded in the days of, of uh, Noah, threaded to the gospel message, Noah the nut pulled him into the ark. It depends what your threads are, what you're threaded to. If you're threaded to the world, they'll pull you. If you're threaded to the word, it'll pull you. It depends on which you're threaded to, what nut you'll follow. But Noah being a nut with the word of God, a nut to the scientific age and to the religious age that he lived in, he pulled them that would be saved into the ark. Amen. Those that were predestinated, the bolt that was made before the nut. The bolt must be threaded to the nut. So Satan... He has some bolts and nuts too. Bolts and nuts 
of the kingdoms of this world. Pharaoh was just as much not to Noah or to Moses as Moses was to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, with all his scientific gimmicks, had pulled his nation to himself. Noah, by being a nut for God, pulled the church to the promised land. Depends on which way you're threaded. He pulled the church out of Egypt. As Noah pulled the church out of the world to the ark. Moses pulled the church from Egypt to God's promised land. Jesus said, now be careful. Because these nuts and bolts look a whole lot alike. Just watch the thread. Matthew 24, 24, he said it would almost deceive the very elected. Now, the, the American and the whole world denomination needs a nut. The Methodists, the Baptists, the Presbyterian, they're all scattered out and this, that, and all fighting. And after all, they're all threaded to the same bolt. So God's given them a bolt and sending them a nut. The World Council of Churches. It'll pull them all together. That's right. <laughs> it sure will. It'll pull them together. <laughs> the World Council. You know, it got to here not long ago. There can't be nothing happen to cause without a reason. The women want to strip their clothes off. They want to wear shorts. They wanted to still belong to church. They wanted to wear all these kinis or what you call the things. They want to do that and they want to still belong to church. They want to scream, holler, and dance. Worship. That's a worship. Now, if I had time, I'd prove that to you. That is a devil worship. Dancing like that and doing those things. I could prove it to you in the heathen lands. They wanted to worship and maintain their testimony and still remain in church. So God give them a nut. Two or three of them. One named Elvis Presley, one Pat Boone and Ernie Ford can sing hymns and everything else and still claim to be a Christian. It's a nut. It's not threaded to the word. Right. Now, I said I'd be through in a half hour and it's up. But listen, the world wants a nut. The devil sees they get it. They're already threaded for it. But while the world is being threaded for a nut, there's a people called the bride. Amen. It's threaded too. Just as sure as I'm standing here, God will send him a nut. That'll pull the bride out of this chaos into the presence of God. It'll be a word-threaded nut. A critic a few days ago said to me down in Tucson, he said... You know, some people make you a nut and others make you a God. I said, well, that kind of runs all right. I know he's trying to criticize me. He said, people think you're a God. I said, well, it's the, I know the people didn't do that. But I, I know he didn't understand it because he's on the other side of the skin, you see. So I know he didn't, he didn't know it. So I said, that's not too far away from the word of God, is it? Just let him just let him know we wasn't lost. <laughs> we know where we were standing. We know what kind of sails we had set and what kind of wind was blowing it. We know what our thread was and what our nut was. And we know how we we're standing. I said, that's not contrary to the word of God so much, is it? I said, remember, when God was sending Moses down to the children of Israel, God made Moses a God. That's right. And made also Aaron, his brother, a prophet. That's right. All the prophets, Jesus said, were gods. They were God's man. That's right. God means it that way. Listen. The word that we preach and the word that I said this morning, God hiding behind skins. Badger skins. 
God hiding behind the skin of a man. See? That's what he did. When God was manifest in the world, he was hiding behind or veiled behind the skin of a man called Jesus. He was veiled and hiding behind the skin of a man called Moses. And they were gods. Not gods, but they were God, the one God, just changing his mask. Doing the same thing each time. Bringing this word. See, God made it that way. He knows that man's got to see something. There isn't ever one of us born into the world. Like I was telling you this morning, nobody was daring to follow Moses in there. God never did deal with two. He deals with one. Always. No one was daring to impersonate Moses. It was death, natural death. To try to impersonate him. To go in that pillar of fire with him. So people are not all made. You're not born in that way to break out into that supernatural. But God set some on the earth to represent him as an ambassador from him. And that ambassador is ordained of God to go into the great unknown supernatural and discern and bring out things that the natural mind cannot perceive it. It brings out the mystery of God foretells things that is and things that will has been and things that will be. What is it? God. God behind skins. Human skin. That's exactly right. Sam Connolly lives in Tucson. He come here once many years ago with Mr. Kidd and was healed with a standing ulcer for many years. When I went out last fall, Sam had a, a stone that the specialist there in, in Tucson examined it. It was as big as a marvel. Brother Sam Conley, many of you here know him. He's from Ohio. And he went to the doctor and he said, Sam, make yourself ready next week. I'll take that stone out a couple days from that. He said, can I pass the stone, doctor? He said, it's impossible. The stone is too big. So he got him in a car and took him home, and he called. He said, I want you to come over and pray for me, Brother Brown. Why did he call me for such? And I started to pray for him. I said, Sam, it's thus saith the Lord. The stone will pass by itself. And the next morning he took the stone to the doctor. And he said, the doctor said, Mr. Connell, I don't understand how it happened. And he said, I am a believer in God. And God passed the stone for me, took it from me. The man could hardly believe it, the doctor. Just the more he could believe that big tumor leaving my wife's side, you know about, see. So he said, uh, about six months later, which is about three, about two weeks ago or three weeks ago, Sam Conley was stricken down by a serious heart condition. And I don't know the name of Carter or some kind of a heart block or ever what it is. It's a very dangerous. It won't, you can't get over it, they claim. A heart attack and his heart blocked. And his limbs swelled out to his ankles were larger than his leg up here high around his hip. So they took him down to the doctor. The doctor said, take him home peacefully or to the hospital. Sam said, I don't want to go to the hospital. Said, take him home and put him in the bed and don't you move head, hand, or foot for six months. Said, you could die at any minute. And Brother Norman called and we went over that night to see Brother Sam. And when we prayed for him, and the Lord spoke. And the next morning, Sam went down to the doctor's office with his britchy legs pulled up. Stood before the doctor and said, look at me, doctor. 
And the doctor put him under an electrical cardiogram, and he said, I don't understand it. He said, go on back to work. He said, what church do you belong to? He said, I don't belong to any of them. He said, you can't be a Christian without belonging to them denominations. You have to be. See, that's all the doctor knows. Sam was a nut to him. And he was a nut to Sam. But I asked him such a question. Then what happened? Sam come over and he said, what can I say to anybody that tells me such things, Brother Bram? Tell them that you belong to the one and only church. You don't join it. It's not a denomination. You're born into it. A little lady. About six months ago, leaning on the bosom of Sister Norman, I forget her name. Very uh, pretty little woman, about 30 years old. Her and her husband had separated. And she took leukemia. And she had been in such a condition that she could hardly get around. And finally it got worse until the doctors put her in a bed. And the doctors visited her until the time come they give her until the following Wednesday. She'd be dead by Wednesday. And Miss Norman somehow got her out of the bed and brought her over and had to hold her up in a chair. And as the little fellow sat there pitching back and forth and gray as she could be, yellow over the skin from the cancer, leukemia, I said, well, I can pray for you, sister. And her trying to speak in the tears in her eyes, she said, I, I said, are you a Christian? She said, I'm a Methodist. I said, I, I asked you if you was a Christian. And she said, you mean belong to the Christian church? I said, no, ma'am. I mean, are you born to the Spirit of God and love the Lord Jesus? She said, well, I've always belonged to the church. I said, if God will let you live, will you promise me that you will return to me and let me show you the way of the Lord more plainer? She said, I promise God anything if you'll spare my life. I'll serve him. Just then a vision come. Said, Thus saith the Lord. Don't make ready. Tear up your things for your death day after tomorrow. As on Monday, she said, I Wednesday. You're not going to die. Last Sunday, a week from this Sunday, I sat with her in the room, gained 30 some odd pounds. The doctor said there's not one trace of the leukemia can be found anywhere. And she wanted to know, and I sent her down to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ in an irrigation ditch. <laughs> the way of the Lord. Might be a nut. But if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. I visit up at, uh, the boy used to take tapes here, Leo Mercer. He's got a trailer court. And I've been praying for some people. I prayed for a, a little lady named Loker, I believe it was. And she'd had 14 operations of cancer. And the doctors give her up to die. And was prayed for and told her she would not die. But she would live. And there's not a trace of it anywhere. And because of that, 28 of her family were standing there saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Might be a nut. But it's drawing all men unto him that will come. It's threaded with the word. You see what I mean? I got a letter that come in day before yesterday laying right back there in the file. Last fall while on a hunting trip. Last spring is a year ago, an Indian boy named Oscar that we hunt on the highway up there with us where the angel of the Lord, I told you across here, would bring that caribou and, and that uh, silver tip grizzly, all of you remember it. Then that boy, when I walked into the, he walked into the tent last spring and when Bud asked me to ask the blessing, he took off his gloves, his riding. He put them gloves on and was ready to go out. He was a Catholic. It had nothing to do with it. Last fall, when he couldn't stand it by my side, when his mother was back there dying with a heart attack, he said, won't you come back and pray for her? I went back in this little hut of the Indians there, and there all of them gathered around this mother and her dying. Couldn't speak a word of English. 
And the Holy Spirit came down and told the mother through an interpreter, her daughter, what had taken place, which was even called her name and told her what she was and what tribe she was from and how that this had happened. And the mother was instantly healed. And the next morning when I went back to see him as I rode out going 40 miles back for a sheep, there they was all sitting there. She was all getting on the horse to go back to dry moose meat. And I said, last night when I prayed, I said, Our Father who art in heaven, I said, Louise, I, I was a Catholic prayer. You all started and then, of course, I left you. And I said, now I'm just going to thank God. We don't say prayers, we pray. She said, we ain't no more Catholic. She said, we believe like you believe. We want you to take all of us and baptize us the way you baptize. We want the Holy Ghost. On the trip back, the boy had lost his horses months before that. Couldn't find him. And the guy was bawling out said, Oscar, you know better than to leave them horses like that. The bears, a lot of grizzlies, uh, would eat them horses up by this time. And he kept standing close to me. And he said... Um, one night he said, me ask you something? I said, yeah. He said, Brother Branham, pray God. God, give me my ponies back. <laughs> I said, Bud said the bear eat him up. He said, Brother Branham, ask God. God, give Oscar his ponies back. <laughs> I said, you believe that, Oscar? He said, I believe. God, make my mother well. God tell you where bear was, where game was. That God know where game is, know where my horses is. A year ago, while standing back there with Fred Softman, he's here tonight, Billy Paul, my son, the Holy Spirit came down. I said, Oscar, you'll find your ponies. They'll be standing in snow. There lays the letter. Wrote me last week and I got it a Friday. Come in here, slain right there and file now. Brother Branham, Oscar, fine ponies, standing in snow. <laughs> How they live, nobody knows. They're, the boy, at this time of year, June, they so much snow, they still 20 or 30 foot of snow around them. How did they stay there through the winter in this canyon? Oscar can get into him on snowshoes, but of course he can't put snowshoes on his pony. But he found him according to the word of the Lord. It might sound like a nut. Just believe it one time. Depends on how your threads are. Now, it won't thread up with the denomination. It'll only thread with the word. But there's some people in the world believes that word. It'll take a nut to wrap that bride out of here this street. For the bride and the bridegroom are one. And the God is one and the word is God. Amen. It'll have to be threaded with the word. And it'll draw the bride out of these denominations. Yeah, he wanted to criticize me. You know, it reminds me of talking about this morning, God hiding behind skins. Skin of man. A little story, and then I'm closing. Sorry, I done kept you here about 45 minutes now. There's a home, Christian home. And there was a, I told this to this critic. And in this home, there was, they believed in God. They had a little boy there, but he's scared to death in a storm. Lightning, oh, he's just scared to death. He'd run our tables anywhere when it was lightning. So one night, there come a big storm out on the farm and where they lived and trees was blowing and lightning flashing. Getting late in the night, the mother said to Junior, said, now, Junior, you go upstairs and go to bed. Said, now, don't be scared. Go on up there. So little Junior with his pajamas on went up the steps looking back, about half crying. He laid down, tried to go to sleep, covered up his head. He couldn't go to sleep. That lightning flashing around the window. So I said, oh, mom, <laughs> I said, come up here and sleep with me. Well, she said, Junior, nothing's going to bother you. That lightning can't hurt you. He said, but mama, 
come up here and sleep with me. So the mother went up the steps and laid across the bed with her junior. And she said, Junior, my little son, mother wants to tell you something. She said, Junior, we are a Christian family. We believe in God. And we believe that God protects us in storms. We believe that. And we believe that God takes care of his own. And said, I want you to believe that, Junior. That don't be as scared. God is with us. And he'll protect us. Junior snubbed a few times. He said, Mama, I believe that too. He said, but when that lightning's so close to the window, I like the feel of God. It's got skin on it. So I think that all of us adults think the same thing. God with skin on it. God with skin on it. It might sound like a nut to the world, but it's drawing all men unto him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as the little stories of, of experiences, and sometimes they happen for a reason. And it's yet as rude as it is, yet we understand it in the language that it happened in. So we thank Thee tonight, Lord, that, that God can house Himself in us. We're thankful that there was a propitiation made. The blood of the righteous one, Jesus who was the fullness of God, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, that he laid down his precious life, not taken from him, but willfully laid it down, that we might enjoy him in the fullness of his presence, in the Shekinah glory that he lived in, that our souls might be sanctified with that blood, that the great Holy Spirit itself could live in us, and we become teachers, prophets, and so forth to the people of those, Lord, who are needy. Gifts of God. God himself manifesting, glowing out the great gifts of God in the presence of this modern age. And the rude expression, Lord, of being a nut. And we know that in this day, that it takes some time when the world gets in a rut like the church is today, just joining new churches and new denominations. A man who comes forth with the word is considered a nut, an insane person. As the great apostle Paul, who was trained to be a theologian, a priest, and yet he said he'd become a fool for the glory of God. He forsook his education that the people might listen to his high polished words and he said he come not with enchanting words and wisdom of man that their faith would be in such how the church has turned to that today as he prophesied after my departure wolves shall enter in not sparing the flock but he said he came to them in power and manifestations of the Holy Spirit that their faith would be in God father he became a fool to the world to know Jesus. And so do we today, Lord. There's people sitting here that's considered crazy because that they're ready to trust God for their healing, for their eternal destination, placing their reputation at stake and worship to Him, thanking Him, praising Him, giving freedom to their spirit to worship God. They're considered crazy. But you said that the, the foolishness of God, if we are fools, was stronger and wiser than the wisdom of man. For man by wisdom know not God, but through the foolishness of preaching, it pleased God to save them that was savable. We pray, God, that the great author of this word will come tonight and heal the sick, save the lost. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
As we get towards the end of this episode, we end with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you've elected us to be chosen representatives and a holy priesthood unto you. Help us, Father, that we might present ourselves as Nazarites separated from the world and devoted to serving you. And may we be worthy ambassadors of this gospel. Be with us for the rest of this evening. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Honey in the Rock, your daily dose of inspiration and encouragement. We hope to continue to earn your viewership throughout the year as we read the Bible from cover to cover. To make this a better listening experience for you, we'd really appreciate your feedback. So please email us at honeyintherock2020 at gmail.com. We also have accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So please follow us, share our pages, and subscribe. Now we'll leave you with the parting song. God richly bless you.
No, no.